0: Hi, this is Chris Baldwin, aka Fight Goddess with Skull Combat Sports Equipment, and you are listening to Eddie Goldman with No Holes Barred.
1: Hello, everyone around the world. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. There was an attempt on Saturday, July 17th to unify the four major belts in boxing's 154-pound division as unbeaten fighters and belt holders Jamel Charlo and Brian Castaño fought in the AT&T Center in San Antonio, Texas and shown on Showtime in the U.S., After 12 rounds, the consensus seemed to be among boxing observers online that it was a good close fight, but that Castaño had done enough to win. The verdict, however, was a split draw. While many people accepted this decision since there were many close rounds and no fighter blew out the other, the score of one of the judges of 117-111 for Charlo was so ludicrous that Charlo himself even said it was too wide. Both Charlo and Castagno said after the fight that they would welcome a rematch, but boxing's absurd system of multiple sanctioning bodies, which have their own mandatory challengers, might prevent or delay that from happening any time soon, if ever. The result was that there was an entertaining main event on an entertaining card where the entertainment was ruined by the judging and overall lack of good governance in boxing. To discuss all this, we once again spoke with our colleague Chris Baldwin on The War Room on Angry Afro Radio. She's posted the video of this discussion on the Angry Afro Radio YouTube page. And on this edition of No Holds Barred, we have the complete audio. We thus discussed this fight in the context of examining boxing's governance, how the general issue of governance is rarely discussed in boxing, how bad governance has been a major factor in boxing's decline, and what good governance constitutes. We also discussed new alternative forms of organizations for pro sports that are emerging, why sports organizations must work outside existing structures like the disgraceful International Olympic Committee, and much, much more. But before we get to our discussion with Chris Baldwin on The War Room on Angry Afro Radio, a word from the sponsors of No Holds Barred. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHeart.com the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L E N N E H A R D T.com. And Skull's Fight Shop, home of the Skull's Double End Bag, the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skull's Double End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed distance and timing skills hang it and hit it right out of the box no pump required skulls fight shop advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters for more information go to skulls that's s-k-u-l-l-z fight shop dot com and adolfina studios original art prints, and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y dot com, shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Also, please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon for much more No Holds Barred content, that's at Patreon.com. Eddie Goldman. Now, you can also support our independent no holds barred journalism by purchasing items such as t shirts, hoodies, tank tops, mugs, pillows, masks, and even mini skirts at the new No holds barred with Eddie Goldman shop on Red Bubble. It has also been recommended to me that people choose sizes on the large side as some items may run small. You can browse all the items for sale and then place an order at redbubble.com slash people slash Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, no holds barred.
0: You are tuned in right now to Angry Afro Radio, and we are in the war room with award winning sports journalist Eddie Goldman from No Holes Barred News. I am your host, Chris Baldwin, AKA DJ Tribal, and we're going to jump right into last night's PBC fight card on Showtime. What's up, Eddie? How Welcome. you doing? How you doing? Welcome back, uh, brother. Welcome back. To, I know you saw the fight last night, Charlo versus Castaño. So let's hear it. It was uh, it was crazy. It was a great fight. I thought it was a good fight. Uh, the judging scoring was a little uh, had a couple of them had it close. But one guy was like 117, 111. What the fuck fight were you looking at, dude? I I had it a lot closer. So what were your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it was a really good fight. And if you remember, I briefly mentioned last time out, Charlo is much better known than Castaño. So don't sleep on this guy, Brian Castaño. He's unbeaten for a reason. Uh, He had a a draw a couple of fights ago with Arislandi Lara, who it's impossible to look good against. And that, that fight was really close. I think a draw was really fair in that Fight because I recently watched it. He'd beaten Dervinchenko in the old, now defunct World Series of Boxing, which had a, a different format. And he's a guy who throws a lot of punches, who boxes well, who has fast hands, but he's never been known as a, as a big puncher, as a big knockout guy, which is a lot of the, the, the opposite skills from Jamel Charlo, who can box decently but is not a really great boxer, but is a great puncher. He has a tremendous amount of power. And has had a couple of fights where he's been way down on the scorecards and has come back to score the knockout to get the victory. And his only loss, the first fight with Tony Harrison, most people consider that a robbery. And in boxing, honestly, most time. There's an out-and-out robbery in in a major fight like this. There's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, be it gambling, be it the corruption with the judges, whatever. How can people who are watching this fight who are fans on Showtime, commenting on Twitter, get it right all the time better than people that are supposed to be professional judges. Why does this happen week in and week out? And it it happened in this fight, too, where in the early part of the fight, uh, if you said in the second round, Charlo really went for an early knockout and he hurt Castagna. But Castagna came back and hurt him in the third round. And Castagna began to rack up points. Charlo couldn't get his timing right. Castaño would come in, and interestingly enough, he often didn't lead with the jab. He'd come in with combinations. He'd back Charlo up against the ropes, and he'd score a lot of punches. And he built up early, really, in the first two-thirds of the fight or so, a big lead. But then around the ninth, really the tenth round, Charlo came back with the power, began to... Uh, pressure Castaño forward and he hurt him in the 10th round, but he couldn't get him out of there. And then he dominated the 11th round again. And the 12th round was very close. People were split on that. The judges all gave it to Charlo. I thought Castaño might've won that 12th round, but it was very close. And then they announced the scores and Before the scores, people who watched it, who know boxing, I saw commenting on Twitter, really liked the fight, really thought it was a tremendous effort by both guys. And the majority felt that Castaño pulled it out and won. So when they they announced it was a split draw, that wasn't necessarily a robbery, because I think you could say, okay, there were some close rounds, You could call it a a fair decision. But when you look more closely at the actual scorecards, one of them had a 114-113 for Castano. But that meant there was a 10-8 round for Charlo in the 10th round. Nobody else scored that a 10-8 round. Mm -hmm. And, And there's a debate in boxing. You know, you could win a 10-9 round by just getting a couple more jabs in your opponent. And that round, Charlotte did hurt Castaño. So should there be something less than 10-8, which is usually reserved for a knockdown or a near knockout, that, that's a big debate. But it's unusual. And there was a 114-114 score, which I saw a lot of people who are reasonable also had that score. Uh, Steve Farhood on Showtime had that score, and I didn't score it round by round, but I can't make a, a big case about it. But Nelson Vazquez had it 117, 111 for Charlo, which is so preposterous. Mm-hmm. But in the post-fight press conference, even Charlo said that was too wide. And Charlo believed he won the fight. Castaño believed he won the fight. You know, that's the the way it usually is. Right. So so the question is, why do professional judges, and particularly in fights that are relatively close like this one, why do you often see one judge in a split decision, a majority decision, or a close fight, just way off? in outer yes, space. Yes, why
0: is that? That is a good damn question. Why is that? What fight was he looking at?
1: Well, I don't know what happened in this fight, but according to uh, our friend Charles Farrell, what happens a lot of times, and I've heard Floyd Mayweather say this too, promoters will pay off judges. Oh my Now goodness. Was it th- that happening in this case? We don't know, because what happens is people will look at the record and not see or not remember the fight. And they'll see that something was a split decision or majority decision when it was really more of a one sided fight. And for the losing fighter, that will allow them to look better than than they actually did. And this goes on all the time and it pisses people off. So after the fight, I saw more discussion or as much discussion online about the judging as I did about the fight itself, which people enjoyed Enjoyed the fight. Because most people didn't expect Castaño to do that well. And he is a guy a lot of people were not familiar with. He's from Argentina. And... He again it wasn't as well known, well built up. He only speaks a little bit of English. Charlo, the Charlo brothers are very charismatic. They're all over the media, all over the place. And he ended up giving Castano ended up giving a Charlo giving Charlo right he rocked Charlo. Yeah, right. There were a couple of times he did that. So people enjoy people who are fight fans enjoyed the fight. And then afterwards you're just shaking your head again at a really bad decision. And it's the lack of transparency. Nobody investigates this stuff. Nobody, you're not allowed in most places to interview the judges. And if you were, there's not much of a way that they could defend these ludicrous scorecards that they have. And they'll just get assigned. They'll keep a low profile, and they'll get signed again, assigned again to to other fights. So it's the the terrible governance in boxing that ruins the fan experience and drives people away. Because the people are going to watch fight, and this is not like an isolated incident. It happens every week. You watch boxing every week. It happens just about every week. Every fight, on one, almost right on one fight or another. It happened earlier on this card, too, where you had the Vidal Aleem fight, where Vidal was undefeated. Samson Lukovic brought him in, who was uh, co promoting the card. And Aleem is the guy with a couple of losses, he's probably not going real far. Nadal is the guy they're grooming. And a lot of people felt Alim won that fight. And that's not what happened. So people just watch this. People who are more casual fans are going to watch this week after week after week. But a lot of
0: casual fans, I think, just accept the fact that, you know, this is the sport of boxing that is dirty and the judges are corrupt and You're going to get whack, you know, cards like we did, you know, judging calls like we did last night. So it's ridiculous. I I mean, it's just I think a lot of us would like to see better judging. But until somebody actually makes a stink about it, why can't you interview a judge? Is there a rule somewhere that says you can't interview a judge?
1: Most commissions don't let them do that. Most commissions forbid it. And in the few cases where it goes on, you're not gonna really get that far because if the judge has been paid off, they're not gonna say, Oh yeah, I'm crooked, I was paid off.
0: No, you but need- investigative reporters don't isn't that the kind of shit that they dig into? Who's an there's, investigative no, there's reporter There's, there's, there's in no boxing? right, that's what I'm saying. There's no sports investigative reporter that does shit like that. I mean, this is not the first time. There, there Decade. There is
1: there is some and as boxing has more and more declined and this is one of the key reasons that people view it as a totally corrupt sport, even if there are generally fight fans, that media people that expose these things get driven away. They don't get paying jobs and they go cover other sports or get out of sports entirely. And the people that are that the major networks promote and the major media promotes generally generally don't do that i mean the the you, the old days you'd have the newspapers doing it now if you look at this something there're very few newspaper reporters who are specialists in boxing look at i you know look at the new york times they have people just will quote a lot of stuff and a lot of official what officials say but no real investigative reporting. And it's clear right. most of them don't know, to quote the, the late, great Uncle Roger Mayweather, they don't know shit about boxing. And this pisses people off. And it, and it get, creates a situation also. I mean, if, if you look at, like, the, the dow Alim fight, the Dow won a majority decision. One of the judges said it 95-95, which is a fair which is a fair, uh, you know, scorecard. Two of them had it 97-93 for Vidal, which was preposterous. And Vidal's the guy they want to build up for a uh, title shot at some point with for one of these belts. And Aleem is a guy that probably won't get a title shot. He lost his previous fight. He was like basically one, two, and one in his uh, last four fights. So he's a tough guy, but he was brought in as an opponent. And so so now who's going to get, who's in line for the title shot? is Vidal. And people who didn't see the fight, they're going to look on box rec and see, oh, he won a majority decision. Two judges gave him 97, 93. And the way some of these commissions determine which judges are wrong, which one is the outlier? Well, the outlier was... The guy who gave him 95-95, but that was the more accurate scorecard. The two that had a 97-93 were the ones that were separated from reality. So uh, it, it, people get pissed off and people stop watching it. So, and the, now there are just so many different sports choices that are out there to watch.
0: But there's nothing like boxing and real boxing fans are going to keep watching this shit no matter which is how a, many times yeah, they which is a the di- fighter.
1: Which is a diminishing group, which is a declining group of people. Right. And how many people would tell you they watch boxing in the days of Ali or they watch boxing in the days of Tyson and they, they don't watch it anymore. They couldn't tell you who the top people are. And then you see this governance issue comes in the heavyweight division, too, because what are the fights that people really want to see? What fight in the heavyweight division do people really want to see? It's no big secret. They want to see Titan Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua, right. a an title unification fight to crown an undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Right. That used to mean something the heavyweight champion of the world. And there've been so many obstacles put in place by this, so much lying by these promoters. And th- th- and now you have all these different sanctioning bodies. This, this fight with Charlo and Castaño was billed as unifying all four belts in the 154-pound division. That was a draw. So Charlo had three belts. Castaño had one. They all retained their belts. And everybody's now clamoring for a rematch. Charlo City wants a rematch. Castanio said City wants a rematch. Well, that's very nice. When is one going to take place? Because if you now have Charlo having three mandatories from his three sanctioning bodies and Castano has another mandatory from his sanctioning body, and if they do a rematch now, to unify the belts, chances are at least one, if not more of those sanctioning body belts are going to be stripped. So it won't be a, a title unification fight that takes place. And the same thing in a heavyweight division. Now that Fury has to face Wilder, presumably it's rescheduled for October 9th because Fury didn't bother to get fully vaccinated along with a number of members of his team and training camp, now it's October 9th and Joshua will presumably face uh, Alexander Usyk on the 25th of September, which is still, as we talk on Sunday, July 18th, still not officially announced, then you're talking about maybe they'll do it in 2022. Assuming they both win their fight, nobody gets hurt again. Nobody gets COVID again. Nobody has this problem or that problem. And no sanctioning body decides to say, hey, before you have the unification fight, you have to fight How mandatory, which they did before, I think it was last year with uh, Pulev and Joshua for the IBF and now for the WBO uh, with Usyk and Joshua there's always something going on so will the next fight for Fury and Joshua assuming they both win be the unification fight that everybody says they want to see we don't know that we hope it but we absolutely don't know that and well
0: Tyson has to fight Wilder first correct because that's the man that's the what they determine in the arbitration right
1: yeah, because he signed a contract to do so, and they tried to get out of it because of everything was delayed in 2020 because of the right. pandemic, and they tried to get out of it, and the judge ruled, you still have the contract. And he said you have to do it by September 15th, so they set it for July 24th, and then Fury and his people are running around, not fully vaccinated. With, probably without masks on, and he gets coronavirus. So it gets postponed to October 9th. Presumably, there's a clause in the contract of the judge agreed, okay, you really were going to do this, and now you have a legitimate reason, so postpone it a couple of weeks. But who knows what's going to happen between now and then. And then when they fight again, who knows what's going to happen? I, I favored Fury all along. He won the first two fights, in my opinion. But Fury could get cut or get hurt. He has to recover from COVID-19. What effect will that have right, on Right, he him? may
0: wind up with long COVID symptoms, which are worse.
1: Right, which a lot of people are getting. And Fury's had, uh, we know, substance abuse problems. Before with drugs and alcohol, he's been very open about that and mental health problems. Will that make it more difficult for him to recover from COVID? Or if he does recover enough so they can fight, will that mess up his timing a little bit? So maybe this time Wilder, who is appropriately named as a wild fighter, gets in one of those wild right hands and puts fury to sleep. It could change the odds in the fight. And then what happens if it, what would be a big upset and is unlikely, but it's heavyweight boxing. What happens if Deontay Wilder defeats Tyson Fury? What's next? Wilder against Joshua or what? Or would the WBC say, well, okay. Uh, You've had three fights. You're not going to have a fourth fight straight away, but you have to fight our mandatory next to get unification. Will they say that? We don't know, but they're looking at protecting their own because they, because if Joshua fights Wilder and Joshua wins, they, quote, lose control of the belt. And the way they, solved, quote, solved this problem in the early 20th century in professional wrestling was promoters wanted to control the belt, and they were afraid if they had the two top wrestlers when it was more or less legit go up against each other and somebody would win. They decided they would make the whole thing predetermined, and we have what we have now in professional wrestling. Box is that the direction boxing has to go? It's just so I hope bad. Not. Right. And what this goes to, see, this is why the discussion has to go beyond the absurdity of the decisions that we saw on Saturday, which, which was a good entertaining card. If you're a fight fight fan, it was a good entertaining card. But you have to look at the issue of sports governance. And you have to insist that all these sports, boxing included, have to have decent honest sports governance. And this is the thing that I never see discussed by anybody in boxing, anywhere around the world that I've ever seen over the years. And it's also an area that this is not new, this has been discussed in general, and analyzed in general, over many years, there was a report published by Play the Game In November 2018, called the National Sports Governance Observer, and if you want to look it up, just look that up. And they came out with a final report, uh, which is written by Arnold Girard, and I'm probably mangling the name, but you could you Google all that. And they came up with a number of principles of good sports governance. And listen to these and think about what you got in boxing. One of them was transparency. Oh, please. Which refers to the reporting of the organization's own internal workings, which allows others to monitor these workings, right? The second one, and think about the commissions, too, that in North America and in some other places regulate boxing or the British Boxing Board of Control democratic processes entail free fair and competitive elections actors involvement in decision-making processes that affect them at fair and open internal debates where the hell do you see that in boxing
0: yeah, i don't see that anywhere where what sport is that in it's not just boxing
1: some have a little bit more than others but a lot of them not too much. And think about the International Olympic Committee when you deal with these two. The third one is accountability. Internal accountability and control refers to both the separation of powers in the organization's governance structure and a system of rules and procedures that ensures that staff and officials comply with internal rules and norms. This is like You know, boxing is on, if this is on Earth, boxing is on, you know, Jupiter. And the fourth one, and this one, you really get a laugh at it when you think of boxing. Societal responsibility refers to deliberately employing organizational potential and impact to have a positive effect on internal and external stakeholders and society at large. Those are the four general principles that take place. And not only with boxing, again, if you look at what the International Olympic Committee is doing regarding holding the Tokyo Olympics in the midst of a worsening pandemic, and every day you look at the news reports, there are more and more people that the majority of people haven't even arrived in Tokyo yet. And there are more and more people have tested positive for covid Nineteen.
0: And wait, so so, and the athletes that are arriving to the to the Olympic Village aren't they signing waivers that uh, release liability to the IOC or to the Olympic governing body if they get sick from COVID or if they die from COVID? Right. Encourage expenses from
1: COVID. I mean, right. That's in the that's in the contract that the that the cities have to sign that Tokyo signed that Paris signed for 2024, that Los Angeles, where you are signed for 2028, that Milano Cortina signed for 2026 for the winter Olympics. And of course next year that Beijing signed like they give a shit for the winter Olympics there. That's in the standard contract. The IOC just comes in. They make their money, they put on their show, they get the over 70% of their money from TV, most of it from from NBC, Comcast, NBC, Universal, Universal, and they move on, they leave all these buildings that have little use afterwards, they move people out, they destroy parks, they militarize society for that period of time, they just come in for a couple of weeks, and they basically rape the city, collect their money, and it's sort of like a, a traveling circus, and they move on to somewhere
0: else. Right. They and down. this is coming up in a week. Well, what do you suggest? Uh, how would you propose that you overhaul, say, the boxing uh, industry? Like, where would you start? Because, it, you know, I understand why people don't try to tackle it because it's an international industry. Um, but I think you would have to start maybe a grassroots boxing organization. How would one transform the industry? How do you go about making that, changes like a, that?
1: That's an important question. And there have been it has to be viewed on on a macro level for sports because professional boxing exists as part of the, the overall development of the the Western model of uh, professional sports. And the IOC and the Olympic federations exist on a more European level of in terms of structure that take place. And there are new models starting to be organized. And I'm not even going to get into the corruption in IEB or the Olympic boxing federation, which is so bad that the IOC suspended it, that that's a whole show where we could really examine what's going on with that. But there are a couple of interesting developments that have gone on in the world of sports that I think people should should watch. One of them comes from, ironically enough, th- th- some of this is coming from, uh, billionaires. One of them comes from a billionaire, a Ukrainian guy, I think he's also a citizen of Cyprus, who uh, who's a big enthusiast. And he set up a thing called the International Swimming League because swimming is the big, his big sport. And he saw that FINA, which is the Olympic Swimming Federation was corrupt they would again, they would put on this show at the Olympics, a lot of people watch swimming every four years in the Olympics. And they would move on the athletes would get crap. And so he set this up so that the athletes would get paid. And he brought in a lot of the top swimmers from around the world. And he's and the swimmers are also setting up their own Uh, Swimming Swimmers Association, and he's working with them. Some of it got interrupted with the the pandemic really slowed things down, but they brought in the top people in swimming. They got TV deals in a number of countries. They set up a league. They set up teams in a number of countries around the world. And the question is, is that going to be able to succeed? And he wants to move that to other sports. Another one is called the World One League that recently started and I don't think it's run events at this point that will use social media and a number of people like Mark Cuban are behind this. And this will focus on a lot of sports such as uh, track or most of the world knows it as athletics. They have listed on their website this season one sports will include the long jump, weightlifting, the 100 meter dash, the 50 meter freestyle that's swimming, the high jump, the pole vault, the shot put, and speed climb. And they want to develop that presumably for other sports. And I know Mark had some experience a number of years ago. He ran a couple of MMA shows on his own and then decided that really wasn't going to go anywhere but he had some familiarity and he also was a supporter of in the u.s of bringing the muhammad ali boxing reform act to cover mma fighters and i'll just add a little plug he said he he first heard the idea from for me when i had posted an article about that and he sent me an email to confirm that so he apparently wants to give the athletes a fair share, give them a stake and a voice in creating something new. Now, will this succeed? We don't know. He they put up on their website that the next billion-dollar sports league will be built on, and they put the symbols of Instagram and TikTok, and they put not. ESPN, NBC, CBS, ABC, Sky, etc. So, how far will they go? All this remains to be seen. But there are new, brand new models being worked on. The problem is that boxing—it's the things are so entrenched. The contracts with these promoters are so difficult to get out of. As you saw with the case of T. Fimo Lopez, you had a disruptor in this guy. Kavanaugh with Triller was moving in another direction of combining real fights and these fights of fighters who were long since retired and just clown fights that these so-called influencers.
0: Yeah, exhibitions, they're calling them.
1: Right. But that's run into a lot of trouble. Uh, Some of the greats of the past that had an exhibition, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. said that Kavanaugh did not live up to what was promised in the contract. And then moving on, Kavanaugh says it's still under contract to them. Whatever happens with that, they're clearly dissatisfied with what's going on in Triller. Teofimo Lopez signed up for his uh, mandatory defense against Cambosis to be on Triller rather than having top-rank organizer, because Triller came in. Triller came in and won the purse bid over top-rank and matchroom boxing.
0: Holy shit, what's the purse bid, do you know? Did they publish that?
1: Yeah, I forget the numbers, but Triller way overbid on that. And it's not expected to be much of a competitive fight because you got to deal with, you know, what these mandatories have become. But that was supposed to be his next fight. And then they postponed it once because it was too close to a Mayweather exhibition, and then T Femo got COVID. Okay. And and Aram was still smoking ripped them and said, Our guys are fully vaccinated like Fury, which wasn't true. And we don't know whether Aram was lying again or just
0: missing. Every 40. day is a lie. Every you time know, he opens his mouth.
1: Could could be, but in any case that fight has been postponed. But now, Kavanaugh realizes they're going to lose a lot of money, because there's not a really big call for Teofimo Lopez to fight are A lot of other people at lightweight that people want to see him fight. So they want to move the fight to Australia, which is where Cambosis is from. And Teofimo doesn't want to do that. Because you know, now you're raising some Sticky questions. Why do you want to move this to Australia? Who are going to be the judges and all this? And Team in the meantime, re-upped his contract with Top Rank. So we don't even know if this is going to happen. My point is that the future of Triller for real boxing is unclear. Trilla is going to do a series of lesser fights at Madison Square Garden, the small room, which is currently known as the Hulu Theater, it's been the Paramount, it's been the Felt Forum, it's had all the theater, it's had different names over the years. And they're going to be putting these fights on with Fight TV, which I think is part of Triller now, but these are not the really the biggest fights, and that's actually starting in a couple of weeks. So they're going to have Michael Hunter, a heavyweight, to. Decent fighter, but not the most exciting fighter. going up against a guy named Wilson that nobody heard of beforehand. So it looks like it's going to be the same old, same old type stuff. So I don't know. I don't know how far Triller is going to go. It looks to me that there's a lot of problems, a lot of wildness in in what they're doing. But things like uh, Grigorichin's projects and the world one league seem to be things that have more potential. And you could be seeing a new alternative form of organization for professional sports. But Grigori has said he wants to have team sports rather than individual sports. And he doesn't seem interested in combat sports, which are mainly individual. But you could make a team format out of it. And whether he, he, he's trying to remake the whole sports world away and move it away from the Olympic Federation model, he's taking on, a, you know, an awful lot to do. And with the combat sports more on the fringes of the sports world, I don't think he's ready anytime soon just to, to jump into this. So when this will happen, will there be somebody else that wants to take a stab at these sports? Because if you look at the Olympic combat sports, boxing, as I said, Aiba is suspended. They're not even running the Olympic boxing that will take place at Tokyo. And their future is uncertain because it's still not clear. They seem to be, they say they're on better financial footing now, but where did all this money come from? the big uh, partner or sponsor is now Gazprom the Russian uh, gas and energy monopoly so that raises
0: hold on oh, a second oh, hold up Whose
1: partner is
0: Gazprom
1: IEBA, the international boxing association that's oh, trying to get Lord. trying to get back in unsuspended <laughs> right so there there you go again you have wrestling which is just as corrupt, but hasn't been caught because they've been a little cooler about how they do things and very few people care about. You have Judo, the International Judo Federation, which I think is is somewhat better run, but again, it's it's a niche sport, as is Taekwondo. And you have other combat sports trying to get on the Olympic program. Karate will be on the the program for Tokyo, but not regularly. And there's a lot of I reposted an article from the New York Times about accusations of corruption in the selection process for Tokyo in the US on karate. They have Samba, which is trying to get on the Olympic program, but it's still done. It's still not universal enough. The vast majority of the medals go to Russians because it's a Russian sport. And it's not as is not practiced as much outside of Russia, or even Eastern Europe. And you have a couple of others trying to get on and then you have a number of the real dumber run sports that people don't even know they're supposed to know about these things about what's happening in the Olympic movement, or governance. And of course, MMA is just an outlier completely, because MMA developed its professional level first where you have organizations like the UFC won championship and Tour And they're now trying to develop on an amateur level. But there have been also a number of other issues that have been raised about them, that the International Olympic Committee people are not big fans in general of combat sports. And amateur MMA is still a, a super French sport and professional MMA is developing on the same sleazy level as boxing. And so the question that people can also ask, with our understanding of CTE and concussions today, do we really want to put a lot of money into a sport where the aim is to give you an is to give you brain a, damage. a concussion and brain damage, right. and knock them out. A lot of people are going to say no, we'll watch something else where you don't have this kind of fighting but you do have this this uh very often very intense and heated competition that takes place so combat sports have a lot of things going against it i i don't see anything changing very much radically for boxing over the next several years and as i said we're going to see what happens with the international swimming league with the world one league and these projects. But if these things get going, because sports like boxing and wrestling, really wrestling the oldest sport in the world. These have been around for so long. These were staples of the original ancient Greek Olympics. If these things get going over the next years and decades, they might want to add boxing or wrestling to them. Right. So it's, it's a long slog. My point is, You got to look at the situation of world sport as a whole. And with a lot of the different wrestling styles that are out there, you have people that are just either oblivious or don't care. They just live in their own little silo. Or you have something like sumo in Japan, where Japan Sumo Association is more than happy just to be a popular sport in Japan and to have some fringe followers like me around the world, but they don't want to make it accessible or really easily understood by large numbers of people, which would require changing a lot of the the language, changing a lot of the uh, rituals and customs that go on with the sport, and opening it up to everybody who wants to compete around the world. They're very racist. They do bring in some wrestlers from outside Japan, most of them are Asian, but uh, particularly from uh, Mongolia, but none of them are black or African. And there's a reason for that. None of them are even Hawaiian anymore. They ran the Hawaiians out after Hawaiians got a lot of success in the 90s with uh, Konishiki, and, and Akibono, and Masashi and in the amateur sumo, when people like Manny Yarborough and others were successful, they never brought them them into professional sumo and they banned them. So they're hap- they're, they're happy to just keep it their own little in their own little world.
0: And you can, they can watch. stay in their own little racist world, Eddie. I'm cool on them.
1: Right. So in terms of amateur sumo, which does open up to anybody anybody around the world it's a it's a niche sport it's very small it's underfunded and there are people that i've spoken to in the sumo world will say that the international sumo federation really does not want it to grow they want to keep it around because it builds up support for japanese sumo and japanese culture but they don't want it to become a rival become a really big sport and develop its own stars. So there's movement for people in the amateur sumo world to do that, there was 2005 and 2006, the attempts at the world sumo challenge in the world sumo league that didn't go anywhere. There might be something like that. Come forward again, if they get enough, get enough traction. But if the level of sumo that even was in those organizations then was, was far below what you have in Japanese sumo. If you watch Hakuho, who just came back and just won the tournament, a 36 year old Yokozuna guy won his 45th tournament. Nobody's even close in terms of the techniques that he uses are amazing to watch, but very few people outside of Japan watch it. So there are different models that are out there. We're gonna see what happens. And that's assuming there isn't some type of complete societal breakdown, worse than even what we've seen with the pandemic.
0: Well, we will see, Eddie. Anything else you got for us before we sign off today? Yeah,
1: for people that are serious about understanding this and not just rooting for uh, one thing or another, and don't want to just be big dummies turning their brains off when they follow sport. You'd also read Beyond the Boundary, the great book by C. L. R. James, which is mainly about cricket. But the lessons that he talks about applied way beyond cricket, which he competed in and followed and was very well familiar with growing up in Trinidad and later moving to England and He spent time in the United States as well. And in the preface, he talked about some of the commentators on cricket. And he said, what can they know about cricket who only cricket know? That's the key point. And interesting enough, Howard Cosell made a similar, of course, more verbose point, because it was Cosell, saying if you're going to cover sports and really understand them, you have to know more than just the sports themselves. You have to know politics, economics, sociology, psychology. Mm-hmm. You have to know the whole context of society, of things that are going on to really grasp what is happening. And that's what I'm encouraging people. If you really want to answer these questions, if their people are serious, we want to find some alternative to these corrupt structures that are out there. Look at what's going on and look at it in, in the broadest
0: sense. Okay. So that,
1: that's what I would leave people use your goddamn brain.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to build organizations that are corrupt free, right? Like there should be, there should be no corruption. It should be totally transparent. And like I said earlier, I think if you're going to do that, it's, you can't, it's hard to start from the top down because you need so much money. And so many people, but I think if you start small, like the sumo folks, they got their thing going on. You could have a transparent boxing organization. Let's just say boxing, because that's the most corrupt, one of the most corrupt businesses uh, sports in the business and um, something that we're you know, unlike even with box recs, there are issues with box keeping accurate stats, right? So right. we need, we need, transparency from the bottom up start start small and build out i think and if you start that way then it's easier to uh you i don't think you 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 may not ever get top rank to come that way but maybe who knows you know you, you, may won't, get, put, you
1: won't get top rank you won't get it from the existing let, structure right. of boxing promoters and networks because even showtime all right, Showtime has put on a lot of good fights. The, the fight Saturday night, the card they showed Saturday night was a good fight. It was a good bunch of fights to watch, although the Rolly Romero fight looked very sloppy. But still, overall, it was, it was a worthwhile card. But they're also putting on a Jake Paul, this guy who, to me, looks like a, a guy in a chicken suit. They're putting that fight on with Tyron Woodley, a former All-American wrestler and MMA champion, and not a boxer. What would the they're putting that crap on? So they'll put on whatever crap that people will watch because they're an entertainment network. They're not a boxing network, so they have lots of shows and movies that have nothing to do with sports. So they'll view it. They'll justify it by saying it's well, maybe it's crap, but they show but some other good things and some other things that are just total crap. So you're going to have to do it outside, completely outside of the existing structure. Right. The existing structure, it's like saying, how can we reform the mafia? You know, you you, you can't you can't do that. And these are legal mafia. These are the, the mafia, you know, coming in from the cold. That's often what... Look at the Las Vegas casinos and the history of the people that, that run them. You're not going to reform them just because they've been legalized and maybe they pay their taxes and that sort of things. They run things in their own way. All
0: right. all right. Well, that's all the time we have today, Eddie. Let's uh, tell the people where they can find you.
1: Yes, they can find me running around a little bit, not too much, as long as you still got the pandemic, on the streets of New York City. But online, main place is Twitter, at NHB News, my website, eddiegoldman.com, and my Patreon site, where for the good stuff, for a very modest fee, since the, the clown boxing and combat sports sites just want morons writing for morons, you could get me at patreon.com slash Eddie Goldman, and you won't be disappointed because you're getting premium content that these other people don't want to let you don't want to let you know about. And again, there's an example. Look at on Twitter, there was a ton of discussion about the Charlo Castaño fight. How many people raised the issue of sports governance? I didn't see anybody else Raises so, okay. and the same thing with fury and the coronavirus and the fact that he was able just to run around on his own, not get fully vaccinated and train with all these people and have to postpone the fight. There were people that I knew was going to that bought tickets to cover the fight to go to Vegas. Are they going to go again with the, the record of these people, the Tiafima Lopez fight? Was postponed the Tyson Fury Wilder three fight was postponed. How many people are going to really say I'm going to travel, buy get a plane ticket or get my organization to do it or pay for it myself? Get hotel rooms and get all the other ancillary costs of traveling on the road, such as uh, to and from the going to and from the airport, eating out and all this other crap. Right, and then the and if the fights are constantly getting canceled because nobody's in charge of dealing with coronavirus protocols right that's a shame
0: well guys that's all we have you guys can find me on twitter at angry afro radio you guys have a fantastic week and this is all we have today in the war room with chris and eddie on angry afro radio you guys take care we'll be back next week peace thank you
1: no Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHeart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L E N N E H A R D T.com. And Skulls Fight Shop, home of the Skulls Double End Bag, the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed distance and timing skills hang it and hit it right out of the box no pump required skulls fight shop advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters for more information go to skulls that's s-k-u-l-l-z fight shop dot com and Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y dot com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Also, please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon. For much more no holds barred content, that's at patreon.com Eddie Goldman. Now, you can also support our independent no holds barred journalism by purchasing items such as t shirts, hoodies, tank tops, mugs, pillows, masks, and even mini skirts at the new No holds barred with Eddie Goldman shop on Red Bubble. It has also been recommended to me that people choose sizes on the large side, as some items may run small. You can browse all the items for sale and then place an order at redbubble.com people slash Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, no holds barred. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow my site, my blog, the easiest way is go to eddiegoldman.com. For No Holds Barred, this has been Eddie Goldman.